When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More pregnant women today are exploring giving birth in the water as a childbirth choice. How widespread is this practice? What are the benefits? And are there any risks associated with water birth? Where can women in the United States currently choose this as an option? Joining us today is Barbara Harper, the founder of Water Birth International and author of Gentle Birth Choices. And today we are exploring water birth as an option for your birth. This is Preggy Pals, episode 78. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got cankles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your weekly, online, on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Annie Laird. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who have joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus contact after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. You'll also get a free subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. See our website for more information. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app, available in the Android and iTunes marketplace. Would you like to participate in our discussions as a panelist, but you don't live in San Diego, or it's just too difficult to get in the studio on a recording day? Become a virtual panelist. Share your tips for new parents and join our conversations from anywhere in the world. See our website, www.preggypals.com, for more details. Well, welcome to everybody uh, joining us today. Let's go around the studio and uh, introduce all the panelists. Uh, Let's start off with Stephanie, our producer, who's uh, in here today. Hi, I'm Stephanie. I am 30. I have a nine-month-old little girl at home, and um, I'm very interested to hear about water birth today. Hi, my name is Chris Harper. I'm 35. I'm a birth doula. I have four kids. The first was a planned hospital, a planned home birth, home water birth, and it turned into a hospital induction. The, the second and third were hospital birth center births. One was in the water, and my last was a home water birth with a midwife. Hi, I'm Melissa Lang Lytle. I'm a birth doula and also consider myself a birth activist. I'm 42 years old. I have two children, um, an almost five-year-old and a three-year-old. I'm actually due with my third baby, uh, January, at the end of January, a boy. Great. My name's Annie. I'm uh, the host, and I'm 35. I'm a government contractor by day, and uh, when I'm not pregnant, I'm a birth doula. I'm pregnant with my third baby, and uh, he or she, we're not sure of the gender, is uh, due on the 24th, though I'm thinking maybe a little bit earlier, but we'll see here in a couple of weeks. This is my third child, and I'm planning a home birth. 
We have a comment from one of our listeners, and this comes from Carrie. Carrie writes, Hi, Preggy Pals. I just joined the Preggy Pals Club, and I have to say my favorite part is the extra bonus content after each new show. I usually listen through the app, but I'm wondering if there's a way to listen online as well. So, Carrie, yes, there is. All you have to do is head on over to preggypals.com, our website. Click on the Members section. You'll see a login section there. Log into your account using the same login information that you use on your app. And you'll be able to download the content right there, or you can listen to it online. It just allows you into our Members area, and you can do a whole bunch of cool stuff, get access to all of our extra features. So, Carrie, thank you so much for your question. Today on Preggy Pals, we're discussing water birth as a childbirth choice. Our expert today is Barbara Harper. Barbara is an internationally recognized expert on water birth, a published author and a childbirth reform activist. She founded Water Birth International in 1998 with the goal of making water birth an available option for all women. During the past four decades, Barbara has worked as a pediatric nurse, a childbirth educator, a home birth midwife, a midwifery instructor, and a doula, so she's a very busy lady. She is the author of the best-selling book, Gentle Birth Choices, and has also produced the film Birth Into Being, The Russian Water Birth Experience. Her next book, Water Birth, A Contemporary Guide for Parents and Providers, will be ready for publication in 2014. Barbara has dedicated her life to changing the way we welcome babies into the world. Barbara, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us today. I'm really happy to be here, and hello, panelists, and I'm so happy to hear that some of you have had home water births and birth center water births. That's amazing. Barbara, uh, let's uh, start off with why should women uh, consider water birth as an option during childbirth? What are are some of the benefits uh, that they should know about? I was just teaching that to my midwifery students. The slide that was up are... Um, what does the research show that are the benefits of water? And I think water is the great normalizer for pregnancy and birth. In the UK, there's an organization uh, called the National Institutes for Health and Clinical Excellence. And in 2007, they, came, they brought together the obstetricians, the midwives, the childbirth educators, um, the people who were involved in creating national health policy, and they all sat in a room and saying, what, what would make birth more normal? And the very first thing that they all agreed on was immersion in water. And there's, there's physiologic effects that happen by being in a warm bath during your birth process. And there's also an emotional component. And there's also... Um, a pain-relieving component. So all of these things are working together. And the bath, um, depending on the size of the, the vessel that holds the water, really relieves the, the woman from being in one position. It liberates her so she's able to move and, um, and follow the cues that the baby is giving her. And it just really totally makes her more comfortable. Imagine doing the the hardest work you'll do in your whole life while soaking in a hot tub. I mean, what can be bad about that? That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we go around with our panelists of the ladies that have had water births with what Barbara is saying as far as uh, pain relief. Or what was the, the advantage that you found during your water births that, that you liked about that experience? Well, it was 
an incredible pain reliever just as I was moving through my contractions to step into a, a comfortable warm bath just felt soothing and comfortable. I also liked how lightweight I felt because being pregnant and in active labor, uh, gravity's, gravity's doing its job. So mm -hmm. to um, be kind of lightweight and feel more free to move around, as Barbara said, just felt really comfortable. And again, the pain relief just allowed me to kind of open up and really concentrate on what the baby was telling me in terms of where I needed to move my body. What she says is, is so true because there's a physiologic effect that, that a large, a deep tub will have for you. And that is to give your body more oxytocin. Your brain um, actually delivers more oxytocin by being in the water. And if you have more oxytocin, your labor goes faster, and that's what the studies reveal. And you, it means that you have more pain-relieving endorphins. You, you, it's not pain-relieving, pleasure-enhancing. I don't like to even mention the word pain and labor. <laughs> it's the P word, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it turns pain to pleasure. Mm -hmm. And also the component that you feel safe in the water. It's, it's your space. It's now uh, kind of your own little womb um, uh, that you're now soaking in. Mm -hmm. that, that was a big thing for me. I felt, I felt safe in the water. I felt that I was in my own space and that I could move freely. I was weightless. And I also felt more modest in the water. I felt like I wasn't as exposed. Mm-hmm. As opposed to lying on a on a bed with your legs wide open and Everybody the janitor comes you. in. Exactly. <laughs> right. Just everybody come on in. Yeah, take a look. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara, what temperature should the water be? Um, is there, I imagine if it's too cool, then, then the mother would get chilled. Uh, but if it's too hot, you know, I guess you. I hear uh, a lot through uh, my own pregnancy with my own care, you know, don't get on, in a hot tub, basically, that you'll overheat the baby. So what kind of temperature should the water be? Um, whatever's comfortable for the mother. And I don't like to put numbers on it per se. And yes, you can take the temperature of the water with a little floaty ducky thermometer or dolphin thermometer, <laughs> but but they're not exactly accurate. They're plus or minus two degrees in accuracy. Right. So um, what I like to gauge it on is a, just a high temperature, not above 101. Um your skin temperature, as opposed to your oral temperature, your skin temperature is between 90, 92 and 95. So even a 97-degree bath or a 98-degree bath or a 100-degree bath is, is going to feel very warm and very comfortable. We don't want to have it too high of temperature like you mentioned. Um, you might get overheated. And you see, we can we can sweat and deal with, you know, outside temperatures of 100 degrees. You in San Diego have it very nice because it's ideal temperature all year round. Here in Miami, Florida, you know, we get uh, 95 and 100% humidity and we sweat. A woman in the in the bathtub, it loses that ability. So if she gets overheated, the baby gets overheated and the baby's heart rate will go up. And it's it's not a permanent thing that is going to cause problems for the baby. But if it goes on for a very long time, um, the baby gets tired and then the heart rate drops. So we, we want to have her in the water 
as long as she's comfortable at a temperature that she's comfortable. So, and, and women, I, I take women to the Y and swim or in their private, their private pools. And here in Florida, we get in the ocean and swim during labor. Um, we, you know, it's, it's not a problem. Absolutely. Okay. Now, when during the labor should the mother enter the water? Um, <laughs> I know that with my, uh, my second birth, it was. It seemed to be that um, when I was still very, very comfortable in labor, uh, my midwives weren't even filling up the tub at that point. Uh, are there issues with getting in too early? Um, not in my practice. If you called me up in the middle of the night and said that um, my contractions were consistently increasing in frequency and in length, um, they were getting longer and stronger, and... Um, uh, and you wanted some sort of relief, I would say, go get into the bathtub. I have had people get into the bathtub early in labor and three hours later having a baby. So there was there was something written um, that you shouldn't get into a warm bath until you're basically five or six centimeters dilated. But I would like to take that off the table and not even think about it. Use the bath not to get in and stay there for the rest of your labor, but use the bath. In the first 90 minutes of being in immersion, you do have a change in in your posterior pituitary, and it does pump out more oxytocin. And and at the same time, you have this relaxation effect that's going to um, uh, cut down the amount of catecholamines in your brain, and so you will relax but your contraction pattern is going to be more efficient in the tub. And what we saw was these women were just so relaxed, they weren't responding the same way that women respond on the on the bed. And But if you put a monitor, a waterproof monitor on that woman in the bathtub, it's going to have the very same contraction pattern, if not better, in the tub. It's just that she's not responding to it in the same way. So it appears that, that she has... Um, a, a slower contraction pattern and more infrequent contractions, but that's not what is happening. So the average time that a woman spends in the tub from the moment she enters to the moment that she has her baby, and she can be in and out. She can be in for half an hour, get out and go to the toilet or the porcelain self-cleansing birthing stools, I like to call it. Um, <laughs> or she can walk around or she can go outside and take a walk when she's at home. I've even had women in the hospital, I'll take them for a walk in the hall, we'll go outside, take a walk, come back in, and then get in the bath again. So it's not a place where you have to stay for the whole entire labor, but the average length of time uh, studied when we're comparing um, women giving birth in water and women giving birth on the bed, I call that surf and turf, um, and uh, <laughs> it's about 229 minutes as opposed to on the bed for about 339 minutes, so um, at least an hour more. The bath cuts down the amount of time of labor no matter when you get in, even if you're two centimeters dilated. Wouldn't you rather do that than beg for an epidural? Mm-hmm. Well, not like the one is available in my living room anyway. So <laughs> exactly. No, right. no exactly. epidurals in the living room. Well, water birth is now available in over 300 U.S. hospitals. That's 10% of all U.S. hospitals. That's great. And, you know, and it's interesting you mentioned of just like some women maybe get on their mind with a water birth of, like you said, you know, you get in the water and you stay in the water, but that might not be the case. Uh, for my last birth, I was in the water and then just at a point I felt like I needed to get out. Uh, had I not transferred to the hospital uh, shortly after that, I probably would have had the baby on the bed, but just 
uh, that that pain relief, as the panelists were saying, um, that really helped out and helped me progress um, while I was in the water. And then when I felt like I didn't need to be in there, then that was fine. I could get out. So we have to think. We have to. When I'm teaching the students here, we uh, they're baby midwives, and what and I have to instill upon them is it's not your job to get the baby out. It's your job to set up the environment to support the mother so that, that she can listen to her baby and the mother is the vehicle and the baby is the driver. The baby, it's the baby's birth experience and the mother is allowing the baby to emerge. And the more we can, can switch that around and, and, and look at what, what can we do to make the woman as comfortable as possible, as safe as possible, as, as, um, uh, relaxed as possible and the bath is one way but also our words and and our actions and holding that space for her so when women graduate from my doula courses I call them environmentalists instead of doulas because they set up the environment both mentally physically and spiritually for this birth to take place. Barbara, you mentioned a little bit earlier talking about waterproof monitors. Now, with a water birth, how how would uh, the midwife uh, or the doctor or the nurse, how, how would they monitor that baby and make sure that uh, baby's doing well? When um, And by the way, I didn't mention that I've given birth twice in water as well, once in the hospital, and I don't even want to describe that birth. We don't have all day. Um, but that was my daughter who's turning 35 next month. And um, my two boys are 29 and 27, and they were both born at home. And in those days, we didn't have waterproof Dopplers. So if we wanted to listen to the baby, we had to stand up out of the water. And my first water birth, the the midwife had checked me. I got into the tub. Um, She was late getting to my house. I labored all day, but I'd gotten into into the tub that I built myself. This is 1984, and um, and she checked me. I got in, and then she wanted to listen to heart tones, and she said, please stand up so that she could put her fetoscope on my belly and listen to the heart tones. And the difference between contraction in the water and, the, and um, when I stood up was so powerful and so strong that I looked at her and I said, forget the baby. I don't want to be out of the water. And I sat back down and I said, "Um, you know, if you want to listen to him, you're going to have to come in the tub with me. And (laughs) because I just, I I was not going out of that tub one, one of not, not again. One more contraction after that point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he was, he was born 15 minutes later. So, mm-hmm. uh, and when I got in, I was seven centimeters uh, dilated and he was born 15 minutes later. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like a powerful freight train or a lightning bolt that hits, hits your body when the baby gets, expresses its, their primitive reflexes to go through the pelvis and be born. That's their job. Their brain is wired to do it in a sequence uh, that is logical and, um, and follows a pattern. And unfortunately, we interfere with that pattern a lot. But today, we have waterproof Dopplers. I was responsible, responsible for bringing the first waterproof Doppler to the U.S. and introducing that. And now we also have waterproof monitors, telemetry monitors in the hospitals so that doctors, even though the monitor has been proven as... Um, 
only contributing to an increase in cesarean section rates and not necessarily uh, contributing to the safety of birth and babies. But the um, um, if you listen in, according to ACOG standards, uh, every half hour in first stage and uh, every every um, five minutes or after every expulsive effort in second stage, you're you're going to predict whether or not the baby is tolerating the labor. So it's easy, easy, easy to do. And in Norway, they they have they use things called panards, which is kind of like a, a little bell stethoscope uh, that you listen to the baby and they still use those and they made a six foot long one so that they could put it in the water and um, it's made out of tin and so they don't have to use anything electronic and it's all natural. So a six foot long stethoscope to put into the water. <laughs> wow, you would need a long tackle box for your midwife <laughs> to put that in there. So bring that in separately, I suppose. <laughs> okay. yes. When we come back, we'll be discussing physiologically what's going on with the baby during the birth. We'll be right back. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recess lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Welcome back. Today we're talking about water birth as an option during your birth with Barbara Harper. Barbara, could you go into a little bit about uh, what physiologically is going on with the baby? I know that there seems to be some concern maybe with uh, hospital birth or trying to bring that into the hospital of, well, you know, I think the biggest question that people unfamiliar with water birth have is, well, what prevents the baby from breathing underwater? Uh, Could you go into a little bit what happens physiologically with the baby during the process of birth in a water birth? That's that used to be the number one question that people would ask me when they'd email me or call me up on the phone. Well, won't the baby take a breath? Or they even use the D word, won't the baby drown? And I, I say every baby grows in fluid, and when it comes out in fluid, it's still attached to the umbilical cord, and it's getting its oxygen from the placenta. About 48 hours before a normal labor begins, the, the baby signals from its brain that its lungs are mature, it's ready to be born, it's 41 weeks and three days, that's the average for a first-time birth. You know, and by the way, due dates are, are should be called guest dates, and babies are born on their birthdays, not their due dates. And But anyway, the baby signals all that. And part of the signal of I'm ready to transition from womb to room. I like that. I'm going to start, I'm going to start using that, womb to room. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it, it transitions. The place to grow a fetus is the womb. The place to grow a newborn is your chest. And, and birth is the transition from, from fetus to newborn. And so the, the, the fetus has to get ready to make that transition. It's the most critical period of human existence is that transition. Um, and the, the more normal we keep the labor, the easy it is, easier it is for the baby to transition. And the baby 
doesn't take a breath inside the womb. It's, it's, it's circulation bypasses the heart. It bypasses the kidney. It bypasses the liver. It bypasses the skin. And all of that is handled by the placenta, this wonderful oxygen tank that is attached to the baby by the umbilical cord. So all of that is working in the womb. And as the baby comes out, its breathing mechanism hasn't come online yet. It's, it's like um, I, tell, I tell moms all the time, some babies are PCs and some babies are Macs. When the baby comes up out of the water, uh, some babies go right away and other babies take their transition. Those babies that cry right away when they come up out of the water um, are doing the same thing that the baby on the bed does. But the baby on the bed, its head hangs on the perineum for two to three minutes before its shoulders are born. The baby that comes out of the water has just gone from inside the womb to a now an expanded womb that ha- is a womb with a view. It's the baby's going to act the same way that it did in the womb that it will in the water. And so the, 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 it brings its eyes, it moves its muscles, and it starts coming online and very gently brought up to the surface. Its face and makes contact with the atmosphere, the atmospheric pressure, the gravity, and the presence of oxygen and carbon dioxide molecules, and that changes the brain chemistry. And this whole time, the placenta is working. We don't cut the cord we don't clamp the cord. There's no physiologic reason to do that. As a matter of fact, there's every reason not to clamp the cord. We've got it wrong. And now, finally, science is catching up. And um, you don't want to clamp or cut the cord until after the placenta has sheared off the wall of the uterus and basically has been born. The baby and the placenta are one unit. And the baby gets 40% of its postpartum blood supply from that placenta and we do that in water births and that's how I teach water births to doctors in medical schools and they go really that's what happens oh my gosh that makes so much sense because the baby needs that oxygenated blood from the placenta in order to make that transition easier for the baby so the baby cannot physiologically attempt to breathe it can swallow water but it it um it, it's only in the in the tub for three to five seconds, and you might see a cord around the neck while after it's born, and you just simply lift that off and then gently lift your baby up to the chest where it should stay for the next fifteen or sixteen years. <laughs> I don't know. I'm about nine months pregnant, and when my eight year old tells me to pick her up, I go, "That's that's nice." Here, I sit down next to mom on the couch and come in for a hug. So. Well, you can yeah. you can still cuddle and you can still cuddle in bed though. Yeah. <laughs> and it has to be naked skin to naked skin. Mm-hmm. And you know, people ask me all the time, are water babies special? And yes, they are because their mothers had education, their mothers had no drugs, their mothers um um had were conscious and had their full complement of the hormones of of labor which are oxytocin, the hormone of love, endorphins, the hormone of pleasure and transcendence, um, adrenaline or norepinephrine, the hormone of excitement, and then prolactin. As soon as that, that um, 
that placenta shears off the wall of the uterus, your prolactin pumps out into your brain and the presence of the baby on your chest changes your brain chemistry as well as as wires the, your baby's brain chemistry to say that I'm arrived, I'm in the right place, my body is functioning, I made the right decision, I am loved, I am perfect, I am whole, I am unique, I am wonderful. And the baby whose card gets cut right away and gets put over in the warmer and on the table and is examined and poked and prodded says, what did I do wrong? I must be in the wrong place. Um, because the only place to transition a baby is on your chest. And that's why water babies are so awake, aware, and alert, because they come onto that chest and stay there. And yes, we have emergencies with babies that maybe not, won't take a breath right away, but the worst possible thing to do is cut their cord. We have to transition them on the mother's chest, even in an emergency situation. And we will see this change within the next um, five to ten years as the science catches up with medical schools. We'll see that change. We absolutely will see that change. I promise you. Well, I'd like to ask our panelists because uh, I'm so happy that both of you are here because you have had um, the the land birthing experience. So what what did Barbara call that? That was the turf, right? So you had your turf birth, and then you had your surf birth, and uh, and you had one after the other with your children. Did you notice any difference uh, with your children in their newborn behavior, or even now in their personality? I'm, you know, I think that children come out with their personalities, and it's very different. I will say the birth transition by being in the water was just so smooth and so easy for him that I felt like it just made sense. So it it just everything felt really easy and felt really natural. Mm -hmm. For me, it just everything made sense. I don't know. I keep saying that, but that's how it felt Mm -hmm. at the time. For me, I had two out of the water and two in the water. And I I would say the bonding was different with the, the last three that were born naturally without induction or epidural. Um, the bonding in the, that immediate time was, was definitely different. Um, their personalities, I don't know how much had to do with the water. I will say the last two, they were a little noisier. <laughs> and I don't know if that had anything to do. They just they made little grumbles and grunts and they they were happy babies. They were content and, and calm and especially my last one that was born at home in the water, very mellow. But I don't know. I don't know if it was the difference with the water or out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all very different. I know the birth experience itself was smoother and gentler. And for that, I'm grateful mm-hmm. versus the little bit louder, all the bright lights transitioning from water to air. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I like being able to give that to my baby's transition. Definitely. So I had a land birth, I had a turf birth, and now I had a surf birth. So my question going into my third birth is I felt like um, that primal amniotic fluid smell, I couldn't stop smelling my baby from my first birth. And so now, right now I'm having this question of the water birth was such an amazing transition that I thought was easier for the baby and more comfortable for me, but I didn't smell the amniotic fluid as strong. Could that be because of the water or could that be because he just had less amniotic fluid on him in the womb? The fact that they come through the water, the research has shown that the bacteria, like if you're GBS positive, um, the that bacteria is going to be diluted in the water. So there are some things that are diluted. And uh, now, uh, and I always say the solution to pollution is dilution. Um, but you know, if you have negative bacteria like herpes or 
or HIV, HIV positive or AIDS mothers, absolutely, I would only deliver them in the water. I would only ha- suggest that they birth in the water because it kills the virus on contact. So it now becomes not a not an issue. But um, the 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 signals that and yes, there's nothing like newborn smell. Um, it's the most amazing. And when you smell that, your oxytocin levels actually go up. So that's why I never put a hat on a baby. Never, ever, ever put a hat on a baby because the baby's hair has all that amniotic fluid smell in it, and and that stays the longest. So take that if you you know if you have the opportunity to work with mothers, just tell them the baby doesn't need a hat until it goes out into cold weather. And in San Diego, you certainly don't need a hat. We're the one of the only Correct. countries that actually puts hats <laughs> on babies. But um, but I I was asked by Marshall Clouds, well, how can the baby find the breast if the amniotic fluid isn't on its its um, uh, hands and and um, um, and that's part of finding the, the nipple. And in actuality, it's your pheromones that get released and the baby picks it up from a, a second olfactory nerve. It's a branch of the olfactory nerve. And so, and those pheromones are released from around your nipple, the arola, from underneath your armpits, uh, from your lymphatic glands. Um, and, um, and the baby is going to find that nipple no matter what. Even if you were unconscious, the baby would latch on. Um, and so it doesn't, that part cannot wash off. And so the baby's going to have that, that, um, um, that instinct to travel north and attach, self-attach to a breast. So yes, you, you might lose some of it, uh, some of the smell might wash off a little bit, but everything else soaks in. And that's why we don't wash babies at all. I don't wash them except their bums for at least the first three or three or four days um, after birth, because everything needs to soak in that, 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 smell and that that vernix that's all part of the baby's immune system and we just take that away well thank you barbara for joining us today my pleasure for more information about barbara and her work with water birth as well as information about any of our panelists visit the episode page on our website this conversation continues for members of our preggy pals club after the show, Barbara will share her experiences with working with hospitals to introduce water birth as an available childbirth choice in those settings. To join our club, visit our website, preggypals.com. Hello, Preggy Pals. I'm Crystal Studendeck, maternity fashion expert and founder of Borrow for Your Bump, where you can buy or rent maternity styles for a monthly rate. Today, we are going to talk about the upcoming fall fashion trends for moms-to-be. These little ideas and wardrobe essentials are stylish and versatile as your bump grows and can easily transform your look as a new season approaches. Trend number one is the long sleeve mini. The key to this statement dress is to show skin in some areas while keeping others covered up. We love long sleeve styles that show off more legs. The trick is to keep the fit loose and flowing. Add a belt or tie over the bump, which will create curves. For fall, we love the colors of condiments. Think olive greens and mustard yellows. To tie this look together, avoid a skinny heel and try a comfy wedge boot. Trend two is sexy stripes. Whether you are more on the hippie side or if you want to create curves, stripes is one detail that works for many body types. Stick with thinner stripes and dark colors. Wider stripes can make your bump and backside appear larger. 
Focus on a fit that hugs your curves and has ruched sides. This type of dress looks good on many body types, whether you want to create curves or even balance wide hips. Tie the look together with some flat knee-high boots. For our third trend, prints are all the hype this fall. Have fun with different styles, but make sure that the colors match. We love a silky print dress for a more dressed-up look with purple and aqua tones. Dress prints down by taking a fun print blouse and pair with skinny jeans. For colors, we love orange and navy and cream with a tan boot. You're probably seeing this next trend everywhere. Leather. We love this look for moms-to-be. Pair a comfy pair of stretched leather leggings with a basic gray sweater, or for a retro look, try a navy polka dot blouse and a fun, rusty colored heel. Add a fun hair piece like a birdcage for a sleek style. Our final trend for fall is dressed-up decal. An incredible cocktail dress that can be worn from fall into winter is a must-have. Ice up the standard little black dress and find a style with beaded detail on an empire waist. An LBD with a little bit of lace is also seasonless. Many of these fall trends can be found at borrowforyourbump.com. Enter promo code PREGGYPAL at checkout to save 20% on your entire order. Thanks for listening to today's fall fashion trends, and be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great pregnancy tips. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Parent Savers, for parents with newborns, infant, and toddlers, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. Next week, we're talking about toxin exposure while pregnant. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.